You're listening to Staying in the Game, a Plum Dragon Herbs podcast where we have conversation about mindset and techniques for staying at the top of your game. Plum Dragon Herbs provides herbs and D. Jow to support all types of martial arts training and wellness programs. Our podcast welcomes voices from all corners of the martial arts and health communities. We understand that there are many conflicting martial arts and health philosophies, and our podcast showcases the wide variety of opinions that exist. The views expressed by our podcast guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Plum Dragon Herbs, its staff, or partners. Today we're speaking with Grandmaster Marilyn Cooper, who has been training in and teaching Kung Fu for over 50 years. She studied under Grandmaster Guo Lian Ying and Grandmaster Peter Kwok. Guo taught Cooper traditional Kung Fu and how to train consistently and to practice, practice, practice. Peter Kwok taught her a series of traditional forms and systems that progressed from beginning to intermediate and advanced moves. While Guo stressed the health and performance aspects, Peter stressed making the forms function equally for fighting, for health, and for performance. She currently teaches standing meditation, Ichuan, and Xintian Wuji Qigong. She also practices Wudong Qigong with David Wei, who was recently a podcast guest on our show. Marilyn has studied spontaneous style push hands under Zhao Guohong. Starting out in the mid-1960s as an art student, she emerged years later a kung fu artist. She has been the subject of numerous feature newspaper articles and television interviews. Her articles on kung fu have been published in Inside Kung Fu, Tai Chi Juan Journal, Kung Fu Tai Chi Magazines, and Ezine and other news media. She has performed at universities, master's demonstrations, and fundraisers. She opened her first Kung Fu school in 1980 in New York City and has been teaching Kung Fu ever since. One thing that we're excited to talk to her about is how she founded a national nonprofit institute called Pushing for Peace, whose mission is to promote a Tai Chi program designed to help prevent youth violence and promote mental and physical health. The Peace Games are now taught all over the world, and we're excited to have her discuss more of this with us today on our show. All right, well, uh, Marilyn, is there anything that you would like to add to that introduction? Um, yeah, so uh, according to the weather and, and how you know, how the air feels and what's going on with current events, we change the training. So standing, med- we don't always do the same thing. Like currently we're working on Sing Yi just because there's spring in the air, the sun's starting to come out and our energy, everybody's energy is starting to expand. And Sing Yi is, is uh, really energetic, but I don't post those videos on YouTube. That's the one system I do not share publicly. Okay. I only teach it to my students uh-huh. because it can uh, make you wildly impulsive and high. Uh, it just pulls anger out of you. Mm-hmm. So I don't post videos of it. 
all the other systems, if you go on my YouTube channel, you can see Shaolin, Tai Chi, a little bit of Bagua, mm-hmm. um, but not that one. Okay. All right. Well, so tell me what led you to the place in life that you are currently at in regards to your profession and your life pursuits. Well, let's say 10,000 things, every little <laughs> thing that's ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, if you wanted to start at the beginning, mm-hmm. my I, I was going to be an artist. That's pretty much the only thing I was good at. And uh, I was enrolled in art school and there was a horrible misfortune. Uh, I was gang raped in the desert with my best friend. And we were both 16 at the time on oh. sort of on summer break. And uh, I, I went to look for martial arts and fortunately was directed to a Kung Fu school in Santa Monica, California. Oh, my goodness. And it <clears throat> sort of never looked back, one could say, because it was such an exciting adventure. Mm-hmm. Learning Kung Fu has been, you know, extremely exciting adventure. Not to say that painting ha- isn't one, but not not sort of not on the same level. Yeah. Did your friend um, that was with you also start martial arts? No, she didn't. She became pretty much a hermit. Mm-hmm. And uh, she lives in seclusion on Maui. And and uh, she became a farmer. Wow. We're yeah, still very close, though. Uh-huh. We, we speak frequently. So you wanted to try and um, feel more empowered and kind of get rid of this victimization feeling or yeah precisely precisely Mm -hmm. yeah I didn't want to be afraid to walk around on the street at night that's or at all you know I mean I I used to wear baggy clothes and look the other way when people spoke to me there's I had sort of every reaction that traumatized people have right but I didn't recognize it as such for years uh-huh. Even even despite training, you know, despite right. training. Yeah. Now, um, I know from talking to you earlier that you've now incorporated things like even EMDR into either your therapy or your, your own um, training practice. Is that something that you felt reopened wounds that had to heal or had you already resolved things before you well let, let me just say that you never resolve these things especially because these things keep going on mm-hmm. you know we saw that in the me too movement so th- those things are never resolved but emdr um sort of uh relates well to qigong and i um i've integrated it with uh Taoist breathing and uh, neck exercises. So it's sort of an east-west combo qigong that we do fairly. I do them more than my students do, Mm -hmm. but I teach it to my students as well. And other things that you said shaped your life. um, You were telling me about, you know, when Columbine, uh, when the Columbine killing happened, and and how your own. children were affected by that or a daughter i mean yeah like yeah just the the repercussions and the copycat um right there was there was 
I, my daughter was in third grade and she used to take the bus to school and there was a copycat threat that there was a bomb on the school bus, which I think, you know, kids just hated going to school. Mm-hmm. And that that was a unique opportunity to get to have a few days off. But yeah. and I can understand that, too, because I think most schools in general, the uh, and I uh, apologies to the teachers union or to all the people I know that are teachers. The classrooms are overcrowded. The material being taught is subpar. You know, I remember history class, you know, what is the gross national product of Bolivia, you know, for 1948, Uh, you know, just I learned so much more from my parents who were socialists Mm -hmm. about world politics and and uh, history than in school ever. So, you know, it's understandable how kids would act out. Because not only are they being forced to learn things that are irrelevant to all everything that's going on around them, it's a lot of it's not true. Yeah. So it's, you know, they're frustrated and they act out. I mean, I questioned the peace games for a while because I worried that they were reformist rather than revolutionary. Because the revolutionary thing to do would be to, to, to read books and teach your kids. Mm-hmm. Teach them, you know, and and mm-hmm. read real books to them with re- relevant, up to date information. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about the peace games and like introduce that to our audience who um, who aren't familiar with this program that you created. Okay, so there are uh, nine easy, fun games based on Shaolin, Tai Chi, Qigong, and Bagua. Not singing is not part of it because singing is just not peaceful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, mm-hmm. but it's the major branches of Kung Fu. Um, and they're, they're really fun. They're easy to do. You can learn them in one hour, all play them, all nine of them, and anybody can do them. So I've taught them to adults um, as well as kids. All my students know them and we have booklets on them. Um, since the pandemic, we've had to pivot to individualized healthcare, self-health care, because it was it was already difficult to get into American public schools. I had an easier time teaching them in Europe. Europeans are more uh, amenable to these concepts. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, American public schools, uh, there have been a few teachers that were open minded enough to get me in their classrooms. But in general, it's been it's been a struggle. But of course, during the pandemic, it's virtually impossible. Mm-hmm. And um, so people can go on YouTube. We only have about 250 subscribers, but anybody can go. It's free. It, there are no ad banner ads. I elected to get rid of that. Like when I started posting videos of about 10, 15 years ago. So um yeah, we're a nonprofit. We're by donation only. And, and people, uh, you know, there's people in different parts of the world that are, are looking in and, and copying what they see to, to help themselves reduce stress, have, a, um, have their chi flow throughout their whole systems, mind, body, spirit. Those, those are the kind of videos I, I like to share. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Especially during this time when people are cooped up. Right, right. And I love what you've done with the peace games. I was watching some of the videos and how it, you know, it teaches the kids to feel more grounded and more in control of their bodies and to, but then to also feel connected to the people that they're interacting with. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. They, they um, help kids feel more empathy as well because they experience what's universal to everyone, which is the connection to gravity, feeling centered and grounded, feeling relaxed, wanting to feel connected to other people, the need for community. So, um, you know, they resonate with everybody. There's the, the, and the touching is difficult during, during COVID. So, Mm -hmm. So when you were in the schools before COVID and they were able to like, you know, have their arms, we'll have to show a little bit of video on the, um, on the YouTube version of this podcast, but they're kind of pushing each other, um, going around in a circle in some of the moves. They're all different. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah. What were their reactions? Would they giggle or would they take it seriously? Probably. Well, yeah. All of it. Yeah. The 12, you know, the, the 12 year olds would giggle mm-hmm. there. In fact, there's some really powerful footage of this. I remember this one little girl had a crush on another little boy. Mm-hmm. And so they partnered up and she just was giggling the whole time. They were both giggling the whole time. Yeah. It depends on the ages. And then the program's different for, for really little kids. Mm-hmm. It's a slightly, I haven't posted that, but we do different things for, for like the kids under six. Yeah. Well, it's, it's actually like dancing, you know, it's like almost like a form of dance, which has probably been taken out of a lot of schools. Well, actually I remember learning square dance in um, in gym class Mm -hmm. and I hated it. (laughs) You had to touch boys. Right. Right. You you know, I was like, ew. It's so a, it's I, definitely an improvement on that, right? <laughs> it's an improvement on there's no philosophical basis for square dancing that I can yeah. see. Right, right. Yeah. Unless you've got a, a live band playing hoedown music and and you're in a barn. Yes, yes. <laughs> but in a gym. Uh, I I really didn't like it as a kid. It wasn't interesting. You know, the peace games are interesting. They're mm-hmm. based there's a philosophical basis for each game. And I explain what it is. So the, they're really well thought out. Is there one that you could explain for us on um, right now? Just to, uh, sure. A single sure. One? Um, all right. Let, let me explain operator. So everybody stands in a big circle and I've done it with as many as 75 people. Mm-hmm. And one, the, they're going to hold hands with their arms on a downward diagonal. And then the left hand's going to face earth. The right hand's going to face heaven or the ceiling. And people touch their Lao Gong points to each other, the center of the palm. Like, like when uh, you're in the uh, swimming and you go like this and you squirt water, you make a little geyser, you know, okay, the hollow yeah. part of the palm. Right. It's mm-hmm. called the Lao Gong point. So everybody touches Laogong points lightly. You don't squeeze your fingers or grab. So if there's just a light touch, left, down, right, up. And the guide or the, the teacher um, 
initiates the movement. So once everyone's touching and you stand hip width with your feet, uh, with your feet hip width, very feeling and, and soften the knees. So you feel very grounded and heavy and connected to gravity. Right. And then you initiate on the right side and you turn your head and look at it and give a gentle lift. And as that person feels the, the press, the slight pressure, they let it, that feeling pass through their chest. And then they, they respond by letting it come through them and then lifting the person who's got the downward palm that they're touching. Mm-hmm. So you see a wave go around the circle like this. And you can see the flow getting broken by a kid that's non-attentive. So there usually is one or there are one or two kids that are just standing there going, this is stupid and rolling their eyes and their posture is incorrect. And then the energy gets, it stops. The the wave stops there because they are not participating. So this is actually a good tool to get students to pay attention as well, because then because of peer pressure, then then the guide or teacher will say, oh, it got stuck there. We'll have to start over. And the kids all go, oh, now because they're all excited and kids always want to get to the next thing. So they're like, let's do this game so we can find out the next one. So they kind of glare at the person that made it get stuck. Right. And so that person's like, all right, I better get in this. And then and you watch it go around, you turn the head, and it goes around in a wave like that. And when it comes back, you say, oh, thank you. And your head turns, you feel it come back, you go, oh, thank you. Now I'm going to send it on the left side. So you make it go around clockwise and you watch the wave go around. And when it comes back, you say, thank you, because, you know, they shared energy and paid attention. And then you do it with eyes closed. Oh. So everybody's face just faces front and they then they just have to get to another level of sensitivity, feeling it with eyes closed. And it goes. And then when you feel it come back, you thank them and you send it out the other side. You can peek. The teacher can peek, too. <laughs> and oh, then yeah. uh, afterwards, then you just touch lightly and say, we're going to send energy around the circle going both either way, either direction. Just feel it without moving. So then there's no movement and you're just feeling the energy circulate. And then you just take a deep breath and you bring your palms to your lower Dandian right below your navel, one palm on top of the other, and just breathe into your hands and stand there. And so then they're doing Muji standing meditation and they kind of got tricked into it. Oh, yeah. And then, then after, you know, maybe 10 breaths, because kids don't like to do anything for a long period of time in general, you just have them come out of it and everybody's more grounded, more relaxed, more connected to each other, more sensitive, feeling all that good stuff. So that's the game called Operator. Oh, I love that. That's so neat because a lot of times kids are going to their classes and, you know, they're kind of oblivious of the people who are outside of maybe their friend circle or whatever. This gets them to like notice every single person in their class and to see that is true as a human being, you know, that is true, which you can imagine like how good that would be to prevent things like bullying and hate crimes and things like that. Cause you are, you're looking at everybody, you're filling their energy and exchanging it. So yeah. I love the that. Large, the kids that are 
the not popular kids that are likely to act out will feel they feel equally important Mm -hmm. as a heavenly body to to the popular kids. Everybody has the same weight. I love that. Yes, absolutely. It's that's beautiful. Yeah. So let's take a step back in um, your life and and tell me about your training and when you first got into it, who you were training with, um, and then where when you moved to New York and furthered your training. Okay, so um, I was I was living in LA and there was a, a a fellow in Santa Monica that had a Tiger Crane Kung Fu school, um, Bob Cook, and that was my first Sifu for my first year of training. I think he lives in Colorado now. Okay. And in, uh, it was in the, I'm not uh, 68 or it was in the late sixties. We, we, um, drove up to an exhibition at Cow Palace in San Francisco. And I saw the Chinese masters perform. And as soon as we got back down to LA, I threw my clothes in a duffel bag and took the first Greyhound bus <laughs> up to China, up to downtown San Francisco, and just walked into Chinatown like this is it for me. And oh, uh, nice. like any, you know, seventeen, I was seventeen or eighteen, some something like that at the time. And uh, I found a a room in a in a boarding house on I think it was on Stock, I forget Powell or Stockton. Only Chinese people lived in there. You know, they gave me the weirdest look when I went in there and rented a room. <laughs> and I, Cause I found a Kung Fu school. And I was like, this is it. I'm here. Yeah. I'm doing it. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Yeah. So that was with Sifu Guo. Yes. That, well, mm-hmm. there were several Sifus. I wasn't uh-huh. going to just pick the first, okay. first kid on the block, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was under Brendan Lai for Praying Manus. And I used to take a bus out to the avenues for his class. And then YC Wong was Hungar. And he was just kitty corner from Guo's school um, on, I think it was Clay Street. I might have my streets, my Chinatown streets wrong. Guo was on Brenham Place overlooking Portsmouth Square Park which is actually the oldest park in San Francisco. Mm. And um, Chinatown was the first settled area of San Francisco. It's, it's uh, historical. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah, that's, so he had morning practice at 5. AM. So I became the most devoted to that because he was open all the time. Mm. He was open all the time. And I was an art student. So I could, I could go to his class and then go to art school, which was in, um, I forget what, sort of near North Beach. So it was just like a couple mile walk to go from Kung Fu class to, to uh, San Francisco Art Institute. Oh, okay. And did you have a part-time job at the time as well? Uh, I was sort of a Kung Fu bum. I, I, my, I was getting supported. I, I lived extremely cheaply and I did little art jobs. I used to, um, I'm, I used to do physical labor jobs. I like that because I was trying to build strength. Mm-hmm. I used to unload trucks in Chinatown mm. with, with, uh, Chinese laborers. They wow. would look at me like, what? <laughs> Ooh, she anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then I would paint things like, um, paint trucks and signs and build in, in stores. Mm-hmm. Show us some of your artwork there behind you. Okay. So um, this is, this is a painting. It might be too big. 
Can you see the whole thing? You can see. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it all. Mm-hmm. It might not fit on the screen. I, it was good. Um, lower actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's of my old driveway. It's beautiful. Thank you. Um, this is a port. I, I had done a lot of portraits that are from photographs I took over during mm-hmm. the pandemic. This is my number two granddaughter. Oh, so beautiful. So, All right. Here's, okay. here's a, here's a self portrait from, oh, this is the early eighties. Okay. Oh yeah. Beautiful artwork. Thank you. So um, there's a connection between my uh, painting and my Kung Fu that I'd like to talk about because it was a book I read for when I, uh, for a while I studied Chinese brush painting and I read a book called the Tao of painting, a very famous book, a beautiful book. And um made the correlation between yin and yang and dark and light in painting. And in Taoism, they talk about from two comes three and from three comes 10,000 things. So in painting, there are infinite degrees of, of color saturation and value for all the way from absolute light to no light at all from, from, white to black and then there's every shade in between so um that was sort of um the connection that evolved for me uh mentally between painting and and kung fu the ideals and ideas in kung fu um in in tai chi you're aware of every increment when you're shifting your weight so slowly. So there's heightened perception because of the slowness. And in painting, these very tiny incremental differences in in value, in in color value, uh, make a huge difference in in the picture plane, in, in what you're trying to express. And then there was also another idea that, that, uh, I was infatuated with, and you can see it in this self-portrait, which is falling out of the frame right now, um, where I didn't, because I didn't, my my um, frame of vision didn't extend to the corners as I viewed the, the motif, which was central to my frame of vision, I wouldn't paint what I didn't see. So... I remember once Peter Kwok talking about um, someone punching him and what he would do. And he just said, I wouldn't be there. So you, if something's not in your face, you know, just don't worry about it. Don't it's, it's out of your frame. Right. Yeah. You, you can't control what's, what's beyond your, your um, sphere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That reminds me of, just in general life being present in the moment and not worrying about like what's out of your control or what could happen in the future or what's happened in the past. Yeah. And that's what we do when we worry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, is crippling worrying and being anxious about things beyond our control. Mm -hmm. So how long did you stay with um, your first 
master, grandmaster? Uh, five years with Guo. I okay. was just one year under um, Y.C. Wong and, um, and uh, Brendan Lai. Okay. Those, and that was, that was one year of training under three Sifus at the same time. That mm-hmm. was a very hectic year. I was trying to sort things out, like, which is the right style for me? I actually, I felt like I was getting power from, from Hungar. I was getting speed from Praying Manus. And I wasn't sure what, I was getting mobility from Northern Shaolin and, and, and flexibility mm-hmm. under Guo. So I thought, wow, I have the whole range now. This is great. Yeah. And then, but then um, when you went to Peter Kwok, he made you start all over again, right? That is true. That is true. At first he said, uh, well, you're also my Kung Fu little sister because we were under the same Sifu. So I'll start you out with advanced forms, but let me see your Tantue, which is springing leg beginner form. Mm -hmm. And I showed it to him and he said, very, very politely, your footwork is sloppy. Would you mind starting over from the beginning? And I said, yes, Sifu. You know, I was like, yes, empty my cup. I'm Uh down. I was that the ripe old age of 27 started all over again. (laughs) Oh my goodness. But did you progress quickly or how did he progress you? Yeah, I, I progressed lightning fast because I trained, but that was because I trained like crazy. It wasn't because I was super smart or coordinated. Uh I just, I practiced like a, a demon. Wow. That's neat. I was so excited because Guo's curriculum was so, so negligible and, Peter just had all this stuff. I felt like, you know, I was, I felt like, uh, uh, I was a starving person at a t- incredible feast at an all you can eat buffet, you know, I yeah. was just ecstatic. Well, and what a fascinating man he is. I mean, he, tell me his background was in what type of engineering? He was a chemical engineer with a a specialty in uh, magnetic resonance imagery, which is MRIs as we know them today. But that was fairly new at the time. And he had been a concert violinist as a personal preference. He'd asked his violin teacher, can I be the best in the world? And his teacher said, well, no, not the best. So he, at that point, this is the speaks of his character. He quit violin entirely and focused focused totally on kung fu so he went to get he went to sifus to get the best of the best stuff and he knew much more than even his curriculum Mm -hmm. and he said he had to let certain things go and weed it out and you know make his curriculum just with the best stuff to come out of his era of china interesting and and so how old was he when he um gave up his um chemical engineering career to become a full-time I think, I think he was 43. I, um, I, I, yeah, no, I, I think he was younger than that because I, when I first, he'd already done it for, he must've been 40 ish. Yeah. Yeah. He opened a a full-time Kung Fu school. I mean, that just speaks to his amazing passion for. Yeah. Because he had a wife and four kids to support. Wow. Yeah. And, um, Let's see. Tell me more about like what you're passionate about with all that you've learned over the years and these different forms of. Well, it's um, what am I um, what I'm passionate about currently? Uh, Well, you know, I I have a sort of um, 
sometimes I feel like that movie Groundhog Day because it's just the same thing over and over again. So I just roll out of bed and go down across the park and teach students. And it's it's kind of like when I was a kid and used to go outside in summer all summer and stand on someone's front porch and say, come out and play. You know, <laughs> it's it's just like that. I'm just playing with my friends. Yeah. Only we have we have a cer- certain games we always play. Mm-hmm. You know, like, well, lately we're working on singing metal and wood, uh, metal cuts wood and they're working, you know, and it's really fun. You wouldn't think like elder females would mm-hmm. enjoy fighting so much. And we do it from a distance because of COVID. So we're 10 feet apart, but you, the timing's the same. And I give, I let them feel it once with me with a mask on. So they feel safe. I've had COVID twice. I'm not particularly terrorized by COVID, yeah. by the way. Um, and uh, the, they love it. It's it's really fun. I mean, the guys love it too. But, you know, at first I thought, well, the women are going to, just the prejudice of my, that's sexism on my part, um, just going to want to learn the graceful, beautiful Tai Chi forms. And then I started teaching them like a lot of fighting and push hands and singy which is ugly and awkward and they love it all so Uh it's great it's a lot of fun so i i could say that i'm passionate about still about teaching you know teaching always seems like kind of the end of the road like why you know all this great training and competing and it was so much fun and now all i get to do is teach no teaching is the actually a great it's really an honor to be respected enough to have people pay me significant amounts of money while it goes to my nonprofit mm-hmm. um, to impart information to them. I, you know, here's another thing that I wanted to mention. I, when I, my old school, Little River Kung Fu School, uh, I used to only want students to learn from a to Z in a certain progression, the way I was taught, beginner to intermediate to advanced forms. Now that I'm 72 and I have elders coming to me, I, they just can't physically cannot go through that, right. that, that level of training. Mm-hmm. So the training gets catered to the people that show up and I teach them the good stuff. Yeah, I'm not so worried about reproducing myself, like as having disciples and having them learn the whole ball of wax. There are people out there that have done it. It's not on me anymore uh-huh. to, to carry on Peter Kwok's legacy with all of that, that whole giant curriculum. Right, right. Well, and um, I think that's good that, you know, they're getting out of it, like what you feel each of them individually needs and can handle at the time. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, um, we've been having some discussions on how Chinese herbs have played a role in your life and in your diet. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So um, herbs in general, and I especially respect the Chinese formulas because they're thousands of years old. And in terms of clinical trials, well, people did die. Mm-hmm. You know, when they experimented and they worked out how much of what works for what over centuries. So I very much trust those formulas. In fact, that one immune defense formula, um, I forget what that packet's called. Shang Hung Lun that I gave you, I believe. Yes. Okay. It has an I'm English sorry. name too, but okay. I forget. 
Um, the, oh, the Defender. It's a Defender tea. The yeah. Defender tea. Mm-hmm. My acupuncturist looked it up and they're, they're uh, doing clinical trials on it for COVID in San Francisco right now. That's fantastic. Yeah, we're yeah. talking about a plum dragon tea that I sent you when you were recovering from COVID to help get rid of the dampness. I didn't have any dampness in my oh, okay. It, it, okay. Neither time That's great that, that, that I had didn't. it did it ever go to my lungs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So I I had it in um the Netherlands in the late November of 2019 and it was just a horrible cold that I caught from my son and his partner and they um, used, okay. So my son used a lot of medicinal herbs and pharmaceuticals because his in-laws are both medical doctors. So they can just trot across the river Mm -hmm. and go to their uh, two clinics in Germany and, and get prescriptions. So he used that and he got, it, it took him, I think he got better in two or three weeks. Wow. I think Uh two weeks. And his partner, Eva, used used more pharmaceuticals Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because she felt uh, a lot of, you know, overwhelmed by it and had to keep not going to work because she taught kids then. Mm -hmm. She teaches kids in Germany and she had it for six weeks. She felt ill. Yeah. And then I don't like to use pharmaceuticals Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. I would if I got in a car accident and I was, you know, all wrapped Mm -hmm. up and had to have surgery and and I'd I'd take morphine and do whatever Mm -hmm. they said. But short of stuff like that, I don't I just keep chemicals as far away from me as possible. She was sick for six weeks. So and then I would um, the local pharmacy. In in uh, Nijmegen, Netherlands, sells uh, homeopathics. It sells herbs, just right there with all the other medicines. Mm-hmm. They're starting to do that in the U.S., but not right. so, not as much. And so I had like a honey spray for my throat, and I drank lemon ginger water every morning. I was so full of mucus. I I had I was bedridden and feverish, but it, every afternoon I dragged myself out of bed because there's a little, a few rays of sunlight in the afternoon mm-hmm. and do qigong in short form in, in the, in the few rays of sunlight to get vitamin D. And I was better in one week and was oh, able to fly great. home. In one week I was totally better. Fantastic. And I, and I, and then the recent time I had it was just over this new year's and it was mm-hmm. like the mildest cold ever. It was less than a cold. Mm-hmm. My allergies bother me far more, far right. more than yeah. this. But I I would say that, you know, we're full of viruses. And uh, once you get over it, you feel way better. You feel I felt much better having got through it. Right, right. Afterwards, like almost cleansed. Mm -hmm. So and then, you know, the I I drank lemon ginger water every morning. I did a lot of herbs. I didn't have any appetite this last time. So it was sort of a cleansing experience because I I just couldn't, uh, didn't feel like eating at all uh-huh. and rested a lot. Yeah. And you've used also um, topical liniments as well, like our D.Jow. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The D.Jow, my, my tooth, my seafoods would always have a ha- it in a half gallon jug. And um, I think the rubbing is, you know, rub it. Don't just apply it. Yeah. It's your hands rubbing it in the connection, the heat from your hands, rubbing it in is important. 
and it's extremely effective. So um, I gave the ancestor formula to my student because her husband broke his back when he was young and has pain in the area. And um, so they have that bottle. And he said, he, he's, he just grabs it now. He's like, uses it every day. And she said, well, do you want it back? And I said, no, yeah. <laughs> don't take it away from him because it's working so well. And then, uh, you know, it's great um, to hear. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I have the other formula. Well, I think what's the second formula? Called? We have Ho family and I gave you bruised juice. Okay. Bruised mm-hmm. juice. Mm-hmm. So, so when, when, you know, Kung Fu training is like constantly injuring yourself. Yeah. Not, not even, I'm, I'm, I don't mean if you practice, you know, chopping boards or smashing your hands and things. Not, I don't even do that kind of stuff. I just mean like singy, the pouncing, my, I've been, my calves are sore. So if I rub that on and, and rub it on my knees, then I can go out and teach the next day mm-hmm. instead of go, oh, I'm too sore. I've got, cramps in my calves and yeah so uh, clearly it makes a huge difference I mean everybody in kung fu should have that stuff around for them and their students the smell tells you it's all I love the smell (laughs) I love it it reminds me of all my days in my early training of getting my shins kicked by my praying mana sifu and him just rubbing that on my shins yeah it's a great smell well, I want to shift gears again and ask you about this book that you're writing. Can you tell oh, me about yeah. that? Thank you. Yeah. Um, so over over the pandemic, I uh, joined a writing group. And uh, it's been about six months of... Um, it, it was extremely effective because you have to read about 10 pages of your work to the teacher and the other writers. So when you hear yourself reading it back and they react too and get, and crit you, first they say what they like, yeah. and pat you uh-huh. on the back. And then they say, well, I didn't quite understand that. And can you elaborate on this part? Or I'd love mm-hmm. to hear more dialogue is what the teacher kept saying. So I had to try. So it was a very interesting process. So most of it was already written, but it was in bits and pieces like articles. Mm-hmm. And I just I just didn't have the discipline to organize it all. And every time I did try to organize it, it still bothered me. It just didn't sound right. But once I was getting this critical feedback from a, you know, a group and a teacher, this teacher is a master teacher, Clive Matson. I feel uh-huh. I should mention him. Yeah. Um, it, it made the, the crucial difference. So the book is now called Pushing for Peace, Revelations of a Kung Fu Addict. And it's an adventure story. It really is. And they, the people who weren't in Kung Fu, the, you know, the other writers just thought it was fascinating. Yeah. Uh, you know, to me, it's stuff I've written about and talked uh-huh. about. And it's just like, oh, that that's old news, you know. But to them, it was fascinating. So, yeah. And it, I talked to, the most fun part to write was talking about my seafoods because, you know, especially Peter Kwok, when you see someone so regularly for so many hours and you're you're interacting with them you really get to know that person and they tell you a lot of things and they're they they're from a a time in china uh, the history was so impactful and powerful and how it impacted them so i was i was fascinated and able to communicate that in the books 
talking about these these you know remarkable seafoods. Oh yeah, I know. I got so mesmerized reading about their histories as I was <clears throat> reading about you as well, and you know, coming from the Chinese, uh, what do they call it? The cultural revolution. Yes. Yeah. And just, you know, the sheer violence that was going on during that time and then having to um, flee to Taiwan and then later coming over to America. And I'm, I mean, I was telling my husband, this needs to be made into a movie. What happened <laughs> with these two? Yes, speeches. it does. So I, for your book to come out just to um before we get into how we can get a hold of your book because I know you're looking into publishing options right now but I just you know for the listeners it's so crazy that Peter Kwok disappeared after you know years yeah and he disappeared it was odd the same year that Golden Ying died 1984 Peter Kwok Kwok disappeared and I I think they're totally unrelated events oh you do oh Even yeah they, they, were on opposite, they weren't they were on opposite sides of the country and not in communication See, i think that's i don't know that's interesting that's why i think it'd be a good movie yeah <laughs> if there's some kind of a connection there they came to america together and did they leave together no no i don't think so i don't think so, I don't okay. think so. well I, I i my heart was broken when i i showed up for my lesson uh-huh. And there was a sign on the door with his red chop oh. that said, Grandmaster Peter Kwok is on an indefinite leave of absence. Wow. All classes are discontinued until further notice. And wow. there was his chop and his signature. I was just like crushed. My soul was crushed. I had just finished singing and was about to learn Bagua from him. I, I had to piece together the Bagua from his students, more advanced students. Wow. Could- but what happened to the rest of his family? Well, they they all disappeared. Oh, they all did. Yeah. Jeez. His wife and four kids. Yeah. He had lived it. And I felt partly responsible. He'd lived with me prior to that. He he had bought, he sold his house, which he'd bought for cash Mm -hmm. and um, bought a trailer. And he and his wife and four kids were living in a trailer on the back of a property that I was renting in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey. We're all together. We had our kids enrolled. We spent the summer there. We taught our respective students on on the property. We had our kids enrolled to go to school. And then a family emergency occurred from my end. Mm -hmm. And I had to flee unexpected. It was a custody battle over my daughters. Mm -hmm. And I had to just flee the area because my ex-husband threatened to take show up at school and take the kids and never because he thought my lifestyle was crazy which Mm. was it was very atypical uh, Mm. living with my kung fu master and Mm -hmm. kung fu students in and out and but you know it was fun I mean it just was different so I I panicked that I was going to lose my kids and I I told Peter I had to leave and I shut down the house and moved across the river Mm -hmm. to um across the 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 Delaware to Pennsylvania. And then I got a lawyer who had formerly been one of my Kung Fu training partners, Danielle. And um, she, she made a custody agreement, a joint custody agreement. But I, Peter Kwok was, I, I heard he moved to a campsite after that. And then, you know, 
he disappeared within a wow. year, within a year after that. Gee, interesting. Well, how um, can we f- read this book when you're looking at ways to get it published right now? Yeah, um, I don't know how yet. Okay. You know, maybe we can do another interview. <laughs> Once Let again, know I, I'm, I'm trying yeah. to get Gene Ching to edit it. He's okay. busy till after Chinese New Year's. He's uh, he used to be my editor for Kung Fu Tai Chi magazine, and I'm hoping okay. Gene will edit it. Because one thing I don't want, I say a lot of controversial things in it, and I, I don't want people to get pissed off. I mean, it's going to piss some people off. Yeah, It just is. So I, I, I just want to speak my truth, but I want to make sure that the things I'm saying are accurate. Yeah. So, and he's a Kung Fu writer, right? So he's the right editor for me. That's because the Clive and uh, was going to edit it, but he's too much just infatuated by the whole mm. adventure aspect of it. Right. It's and he just an outside perspective. He's not critical enough. Well, and if you're not repelling people, you're not attracting people. So, you know, it's okay if you offend some people. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, we have about five minutes to wrap up. And I just wondered if you wanted to share any last points of advice that, um, either things that you adhere to in your health practices or things that you like to tell people to live a long life of longevity. And well, I, I would suggest you, you try some videos that I've posted on YouTube on the YouTube channel. Um, yeah, Qigong, you know, self-care is really important right now especially right now with all these crazy random viruses flying around and the chemical solutions to them, I I think are making it worse. I think people's having challenged immune systems is one of the reasons that so many people are dying. Uh, They're talking about comorbidities. Um, Yeah. You need to make yourself as healthy as possible. And the, uh, the whole debate and argument over free health care, it's not health care, it's sick care. That's People true. need mm-hmm. to know they should be educated from from early, you know, from the time that they're nursed by their moms about they should be eating healthy food. Uh, you know, I, I'm so fortunate. There's a farmer's market just down the block from me every Saturday. So I don't have to think about in season and local mm-hmm. and organic because there it is just popping right up in front of me at the farmer's market. And that's the basis of my diet is what the farmers are producing. So, uh, you know, respect your local farmers, make everything from scratch, use herbs, use medicinal herbs, work on your health and you're healing instead of panicking about sickness. If yeah. you're if you're working on self-care, then you're going to have much less anxiety mm-hmm. about uh, the 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 endless cycle of of uh covid's that were mm-hmm. that we seem to be destined yeah. for. And I love that you get out every morning, fresh air, sunshine and do your routine with your students. Yeah. Um, fresh air and sunshine, you know, mm-hmm. even if you can get a few shards in the winter mm-hmm. and try to expose your skin to as right. much of your skin to, to uh, sunshine and get your mm-hmm. vitamin D that way. Yeah. 
Yeah, that those are my words of advice. I mean, mm-hmm. e- e- even if you don't want to do Tai Chi and, uh, you know, because th- that's a lot of mental training. It's a lot of mm-hmm. mental self-discipline and um, it will alter your consciousness and you will think more deeply if you mm-hmm. do these practices. They, what would they, 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 they sort of go into different brain folds when you're connecting these new coordinations with your because they come as they say tai chi originates in the mind so you're you're working on a really deep level like pure meditation i i do it sometimes almost in a obligatory way like i should do this and then the whole time i'm doing it i'm thinking i get much more out of training it's much more in depth to be meditating while i'm moving so it's worth the effort. I would say it's, you know, the definition of Kung Fu is time and effort to achieve mm-hmm. a high level of accomplishment. It is worth the effort. Mm-hmm. So much worth the effort. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on our show today. I think it's been such a fascinating conversation with you and you've convinced me of you know, I, I have to start Tai Chi. Yeah. That'd be <laughs> that great. There's seafoods everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, the benefits that you've talked about and the mind body connection. And I think that makes perfect sense. What you've said about, um, meditating with movement and solidifying that in the brain, you know, different fools. I I mean, pure med, I, let me just say, I do pure meditation. Yeah, I do. And um, it's specifically Chinese meditation, Mm -hmm. um, microcosmic orbit. I do a lot. Uh, which is a, a certain kind of circular breath. So, and then I teach that to my students as well. I'm, I, I shouldn't, I'm not negative about meditation yeah. in the least. No, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys have, or you have a good rest of your day and we're um, excited to share this podcast with others. And we're looking forward to hearing more about your book and we'll do a link to some of your videos that you've currently got up. So people can take a look at those. And that's great. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Share the peace games with their children and also participate in the other videos and activities that you have for themselves. So great. Yeah, yeah, the peace games are all on the YouTube channel. Yeah. So you can do them at home with your kids. So yeah. if your kids are going crazy because they're cooped up and they can't go to school and play with other kids, mm-hmm. they can play the peace games. And it might be it might actually be an entryway for them into these deeper realms. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's so good. All right. Well, thank you again. You're welcome, Janelle. Okay. Bye. Take care. Bye. We also thank our listeners for joining us today. For show notes and links to information shared with you, visit us at plumdragonherbs.com. And if you liked this episode, we'd love for you to share and subscribe wherever you like to listen. If this episode has sparked more questions for you, we invite you to check out our new private forum where you can get answers to some of your toughest questions on herbalism and martial arts. Click the banner at the top of our website page for more information. Until next time.